0: Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast,
1: hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. All right, everybody, we're back for a third episode of Freak Outdoors. Tonight, it's just me, Matt, and Daniel. If you've caught episode one and two, we've covered a lot of ground, but we haven't covered anything yet. These boys have got a lot in store. And they have got some really neat things that they are working up to, and we're gonna see if we can't cover them. Matt and Daniel, how are y'all tonight?
2: Better than you deserve, man.
1: Better than you deserve, aren't we all? I mean, we're we're living in a free country. We have opportunity to be able to advance ourselves and do great things. I, I don't know if it gets much better. You know, every every day you're above. I guess you're you're you need to thank the good Lord and keep on running. Now, I know in the in the last episode. Yeah, you know, we were we were working through the apparel and some of the some of the different things that y'all had done and and lessons that y'all had learned going from different expo and and from your beginning and working your way up to now. Let's kind of recap just a second. You know, y'all said on your first first time at a show, you knew you walked in and it was you were doing with the bare minimum you had, trying to do the best you could. If if I remember correctly, I don't think we talked about it, but was there a sign that involved a Sharpie?
2: There was um, back in 2014, I think. Yeah, 2014. It was the Berkeva next Expo. Which really was all it was was giving away a, a uh, cooler with certain purchases and stuff. Yeah, we weren't really professional back then.
1: I I would say looking at your signs and your display and stuff that y'all have advanced a tremendous amount since then. 100% I hope. (laughs) (laughs) But I I know at the Jackson show y'all learned a lot. At the Birmingham show y'all learned a lot. At these different shows you learn as you go and I know y'all are constantly adapting things and moving things forward but let's talk about something just a second that we haven't really discussed. At each show I know when I've been around and seen y'all around, y'all have developed some really neat relationships with people. Y'all have some friends among the vendors who are some of the biggest names at these shows and in the outdoor industry that y'all have developed. And let's kind of, if y- if y'all don't mind a second, let's kind of talk about that a minute. I mean, some of y'all's relationships are, are really, really long and really, really deep. I mean, there's
2: there's uh, people, we you know, when you do these shows, you know, we've been doing them now for six years, and we've done the same shows. So, When people that have only done them for three years, they see us and they say, yeah, oh, how you been, you know, i see you been last year, whatever. It's new to, we're new to them, so I guess those relationships that we made with vendors that have been there 10, 20 years are the same relationships. So we've been treated so kindly by those people that have been there a long time, but we want to treat, you know, other people with the same, you know, respect nice to them, because, you know, you got, whether they're doing the same thing that we do or not, and, you know, quote-unquote, being uh, potential, you know, competition, you know, I knew how it was hard when we first started, you know, I didn't know where to go check in at or whatever, so, you know, we, we always tell people, but some of the best relationships that we have, you know, we made a, a great friend in Benny Marnie with Hayes Calls, you know, we've... He had some obligations to other companies when we first started. He couldn't really do any deals with us, but a few years later, you know, things started to shake out to where, you know, we could work together, and we've been best of friends, you know, since Raleigh of two years ago. So, I mean, we make a point to we go eat. I eat after the show. We always ask Benny. Benny's like our road dad. He's like, we're like, where are we going to eat? Because he leaves a little bit earlier. And like Daniel said earlier, we leave at, whenever the show closed, show closed at 6 o'clock at 6.10. So, uh, Benny will leave a little early and he'll go lock our table down and get us a reservation. and how many people are going. We'll go eat together every day after every show. Um, but we have a family a good friend in Benny. He's, he's a great stand-up guy. Not a lot, not just outside of being a good guy, he's got some great products that we'd like to use and support him with. But some of our favorite vendors that we meet in the last relationships, the fudge lady and, and her husband and grandson and all their family you know they wear our stuff and everybody knows fudge people i'm sure you got some fudge while you were at the show in jackson last week Jacob.
1: i did but. not but my wife and children did
2: Yep. well she's like what i would call my road mama so when she sees me asks asking how my mama's been and she tries to keep me straight but um she's like my road mom she's at every one of the shows and then you know of course we've met Michael Waddell, he's been, a, I call him a friend of mine. I mean, he's been a friend of ours for, you know, since second second year we started doing shows. I straight met him um, in a bar after shows one day and gave him a huggy and uh, took some pictures. And, you know, we see each other here and there and we communicate. He knows who I am. We know who he is. And we just, we're friends. Um, I mean, he's a cool guy. He's a very down-earth guy. Um, but, yeah, man, we just, we we never meet strangers and if there's anybody in the industry that we feel like we can work with in the future and whether we can work with them or not, I want to make sure that everybody knows who we are and knows that if they need anything, they, they can come ask me or, or Daniel or anybody else. So they need help loading up. If you know, stuff happens in these shows, it's raining outside and we're trying to get out of there, we'll help to load our trailers up and stuff like that. So we've built last friendships over the years to these shows
0: i'll agree with that we've had some of our biggest competitors in our same category us help them roll their stuff out in the four now rain to get their stuff to their trailers and then return the favor whereas for the three days before that we were all competing for the same dollar um you know so it you know i call it sometimes i refer to us to other people as almost like carny you know you, you know the carnival people that run together they're all friends and family almost because they're together <laughs> all the time well from much july to september every year we're all together almost every weekend or the large majority of us are and those people that see us all the time they also help support our brand and, and we help support theirs you know there's if you go over to alabama every know everybody knows who the sweet tea people are that sell sweet tea at all the shows like matt said the fudge lady and her family there that's what everybody calls her the fudge lady they're nationally known through these shows benny being a great friend and then like Matt said, also beating some of those stigmas that you hear or think about people that have quote-unquote celebrity status. Uh, I remember one time Matt and I ran into Michael Waddell in the uh, in the stairwell, I believe it was in...
2: Poachers' determined. den.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he said, he yeah. said, well, here we are trapped in the poachers' den, poachers' hall. And it was Michael yeah. Waddell, Matt, and myself. And uh, we had a few-minute conversation just kind of away from everybody, and... Uh, he had remembered us from the year before from the, from Matt and them introducing themselves. And then most recently, uh, Matt Duff, a Major League hunter. I'm going to say yeah. it right in case he hears it because he'll get disrespected if I don't. But he's from Bolivar County, not Bolivar. He said, you ain't from Mississippi if you say Bolivar. And, uh, of course, he's ex-pro baseball player, very famous in the hunting industry and on television. Nashville, he came up and had seen us. Came up to our booth one morning really early so that it, he had time to speak to us before it got busy probably spent an hour in our booth talking to us and then that night at a at an event the realtree hosted I would say that he probably spoke to us for almost two hours not about the business just about life about baseball about his background really past yeah about his his passion to get places when he's hunting and how he speeds all over the country and 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 the struggles he went through and uh, being a Mississippi guy, and supporting the Mississippi brand. And and if you look on his Instagram now through through Major League Bowhunter and through his personal Instagram, you see him wearing our products. you know, at times when he goes out and, and does work in the field. And he's not blasting freak outdoors. He's just wearing it because he, he put the shirts on. He believed in what they were. He liked. the especially he loves our UPF 50 dry fit he believes in the product now wearing it and was willing to support some Mississippi guys that are trying to start out, you know, and uh, he offered us some great advice, you know, as far as life and, and lessons learned and had some great points about, you know, when you decide that you got to hang up one Avenue, like he did with baseball and move into something else. Him and Matt had a, had a really good conversation about how, you know, they both made that transition. So there's people out there that have made it so to say, that still remember where they came from and are still willing to be, you know, a helping hand and approachable, that's one probably thing that we've tried to do is is we're not going to tell you how to make it easy by getting there because you're not going to learn as much by not doing the work and grinding it out yourself to a certain point. But we've also tried not to be disrespectful of of other people, not just in T-shirts and apparel and, and, and that kind of thing, but in anything that they've approached us to about starting a brand or starting a business whether it be hunting, fishing related, outdoors or not, because we do know a lot of the struggles and have a lot of advice that we can offer, you know, so yeah, that part I, of it has been really big.
2: I can touch on that a little bit is when I first got to going, and I wasn't anybody, I had, you know, some people thinking I was somebody, and they'd ask me, you know, come up to me and go, hey, like, you're really cool, man, I thought you were going to be, you know, not as cool as you are, and I, I walked up to so-and-so, you know, and they'd do something similar to me, and I just wanted to shake his home, you know, and he he didn't even care to even look my way and give me the time of day, and I said, you know what, if I ever make it there, I would never treat a soul like that, because without them, I wouldn't be where I was, so I can say that I've actively uh, answered everybody, answered every message, and been there for them, and given the time of day, and you know that's what Michael Waddell is, that's what Matt Duff is, so they're they're real good uh, role models, you know, for me. Uh, following in their, their footsteps,
1: you know, and that's the direction you know I want to go. That's the kind of person I want to be. Some good people that we've met over the years. Oh no doubt, that's what I was fixing to expand on. I know over the years when I go to shows, you meet folks, you get to talking to them. You know, this past show that Jeremy and I went to, this was the first show we had ever tried to do anything at, other than just go hang out or go check out what new what's new. And you know, it was really eye opening. That people in this industry, in the outdoor industry, the hunting industry, the you know most of them are down to earth, good old country folks. You can tell it, it just kind of resonates. You 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 can see it in them that they're good folks and that they're trying to help you. They're trying to they're trying to sell you a product, but they also you know I mean they're they're there to help. They're there to do things. You know, Jeremy and I walking around this past weekend, handing out business cards, shaking hands, talking to folks, and everybody there has a story, and everybody there is looking. For somewhere to tell it. But they want to tell it with somebody that they can have a little bit of a bond with. And it was amazing this past weekend how many people. I mean, I know on Sunday we actually had people coming up and asking us, hey, when would you have time for me to tell you a story on your show? Like, hey, you know, we've had this thing going a week. We made a first show and we've already got people. They ain't even heard our show yet. But they've talked to us, they've talked to these other people, and now they're already coming and asking. You know, hey guys, when when could I tell you my story? So just the the relationships that you build, like you say, y'all have built in this industry already. It doesn't happen everywhere. I mean, you, you can go in other industries and other things, and everybody's so cutthroat, and everybody nobody wants to help you with anything. And I know this industry as a whole. Every time I've ever seen it, most everybody is always willing. to To give you a little advice to to point you in the right direction say son no you don't need to go down that road you need to back up and look at this and it's just it's something i thought we'd bring up and and you know just kind of discuss for a minute but moving forward from that y'all have taken a little bit of a i I don't know if it's a swing or if it's just a progression y'all have through y'all's apparel and y'all are already outdoors when you were already hunting and fishing but y'all kind of Y'all kind of, a couple years ago, started kind of moving this thing to where y'all started hunting a little more and doing a little more with it, and kind of walk us into that a little bit. Yeah,
0: so i kind of take that on. As Matt alluded to earlier, you know, he's always hunted for the large majority of his any of those guys and they said well as a matter of fact so and so backed out if he wants to be a member he can be a member so i came back to him and i think it ended up costing me that first year was 1500 bucks maybe two thousand dollars and uh, and i was in i felt like that was a bargain I, I said you know that's a lot of land it's in an area where i wanted to hunt we had a house provided on the, on part of our lease on one of the properties it was just a, a life dream bucket list thing that i wanted to do was go hunt at west Deer, and i thought this was my one shot to go do it. I thought it was going to be a one-time deal. Went up there, scouted like any diehard would do. Early season, shot a bunch of does. Back then, you could kill unlimited does with a bow as long as you kept buying the tags. And I think opening weekend, I killed six. Nobody was aggravated except for Corey. He was tired of helping me drag them all out. <laughs> but uh, That's
1: a lot of processing, brother.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and not your Mississippi, uh, September and early October does, corn and soybean fed 160, 70-pound nannies when it's still 95 degrees out. Ended up killing a good buck later on that fall, by my standard, and, and saw a lot of deer and, and was able to, so being a member, invite a, a friend of mine, a, a lifelong friend of mine, that her husband, uh, to come along. He had, she had been wanting to buy him an anniversary present. She paid for him to come up there as a guest. He saw several good deer, and, and through that first year, I said, man, this, this is too achievable to only do this once. I had the same vision that so many other people got. I might have to pay three, four grand for an outfitter to come hunt five days and maybe not kill anything. And so I started researching what I, what do I have to do to do the boot work to, to not have to go to an outfitter and be able to lease my own ground up here? How hard is it? And so I started, you know, Craigslist and different websites and finding out what websites were credible and, you know, trying to find properties and things. And I actually convinced Corey to leave the big lease and get in a smaller lease with myself and the guy, Brandon Brooks, that I brought up as a guest. And the three of us went in and leased our first property that that we had. And it was the first Missouri farm. It's 10 miles from my current Missouri farm. And uh, that's what got the the trend started. And I guess what kicked everybody else in my friends group into gear was that first year I took a buddy, Craig Dickerson up, and within about eight minutes of being in the stand, he had missed about 190-inch deer twice with his bow. When that story got around that all my buddies heard, for $1,000, he got to come up there and outside of a couple of whiffs, he almost got to shoot a 190-inch deer for $1,000. Everybody wanted to know, what do I got to do to get in on that lease, or how can I find some profit? About a week later, I killed a 180 inch deer, and that was pretty much the, the stamp of approval that we want in on this. Tell us what to do. And from there, we purchased the rest of that property as a lease the next year. And, and we had an 800 acre farm we brought on. That was the first year that Matt came along, and Blake Finn, and several other guys from this area started our out of state hunting, so to say. And it started with Missouri. It was an over-the-counter state. It was easy to get tagged. We didn't have to worry about losing our property because we didn't draw one year. They had a real rifle season versus muzzleloader or shotgun which allowed all of us to like to tote our our big high-power rifles that we get to hunt with down here so much up there because most of those states don't allow that. And from there it just, it took off. Once we got into it, we started playing around and that was also kind of the beginning stages of the filming which we'll kind of wait to get into that later but that farm was what really got the ball rolling on that side of what we do now and transpired into us seeking out other places. That's what led to Kentucky. That's what led to our great connection with our friends Brecken and tie at Farmland Trophies in Illinois and what has now spawned into so many states. I think this year Matt and I alone are hunting Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, and Texas and I've got an invite to Alabama along with Mississippi. So in four years, we went from believing that this is a bucket list dream kind of hunt to, one, finding out you can lease property up there for less than what we're leasing ground for in Mississippi by a long shot. You don't have to be there and heavily manage it as much to go be successful and kill good deer because of the terrain and the uh, and the agriculture. And then using that and that drive to find more places we found the great connections like gary kinder in in kentucky where you know i was fortunate enough last year to go shoot a big deer and and he has excellent rates and uh charges a a thousand dollars and for all his early season hunts and that's what we tried to 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 get people to see is that through that side of it it's not unachievable you know jacob you hunt out of, out of state some for turkeys If you're willing to put in a little boot work, and if you're a good hunter down here, you can be a really good hunter up there just because how different it is, deer and turkeys alike. Outside of the not being able to go look at your cameras or your land every day, if you want to, it's not as hard to do as most people think it is.
1: Well, not just doing your boot work. The boot work is a, a heavy requirement, but I know from my end of it, the relationships I've built. You know, kind of going back where we were a minute ago, through relationships I've built through some of the nonprofit things I helped do, hunting with this guy or this guy or taking a buddy here, and then all of a sudden he'll say, Man, I got a place over so and so. Why don't you come hunt with me? You know, you were nice enough to let me go here. Why don't you come over here? Yeah, this past year I I hunted, I went up getting to go out to Canada, got to spend a couple days there, and then I went up hunting in five different states just duck hunting. I didn't, other than buying my tags, fuel, and shells, I didn't pay a thing. I think one I had to pay a hotel room for. But other than that, it was all invite from relationships and things that I've developed, friendships through social media, through different organizations doing things, just like y'all at shows and stuff, and through your your social media sites and through relationships you built from from just doing what you do. You know, people... People wanna hang out with you. Yeah, I mean you you're 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 easy to get along with. You you bring something to the table when you come, you're good hunters. Now sometimes you go up there and you think you're a good hunter and somebody shows you something new and you're like, Wow, okay, I might have to develop that a little bit. But yeah, turkey hunting, if you can kill a I have said this all over the country. If you can kill a turkey in southwest Mississippi, you can kill a turkey anywhere. Now anybody can argue with me that they want to, that's fine. I will Invite them to come open in morning in the home of the National Forest and prove it to me. Because if you can kill one down here, one of these spooky things, in my opinion, you can go anywhere. And I've been a lot of places, so I feel like comfortable to say that.
0: Yeah, and you know, you talk about that making connections, and, and that's exactly how we ended up with hunting Kentucky, and, and it's probably been our biggest asset as far as whitetail hunting goes. That we've acquired in the last year and it, and it was simply as much as you know you got to be willing to take a risk when you do that kind of stuff just like we took a risk as far as this brand you know there's always a calculated risk in hunting here he had a booth next to us last year and he had a sign up that said a thousand dollars three-day hunt no size one and he had a folder laying out there man and it had some giant books in it some that were dead some that were still alive from that current summer People were just blowing right by. They just thought it was too good to be true. Well, me being a, a, a such a diehard deer hunter, I, I felt like, man, somebody threw me a, a pot of gold right here putting this guy next to my boots. So every chance I had, I was around there talking to him. And the more I talked to him, the more I realized how genuine and good of a guy he was. And got to talking to him about his deer and, you know, being an avid deer hunter, I was able to tell that he knew what he was talking about. He knew his land. He knew his deer. I booked with him right then so I done seen other than that day in that that little binder that he had with some photos and uh, that was probably six weeks seven weeks before I went to his place you know opening day last year on his place I was fortunate enough to harvest a 169 inch full velvet 10 point every guy we sent.
2: It'll, uh, it'll
1: get taken care of. Okay, I'm I'm but I'm you, sensing a little bit right there that the guy that, that may have made that miss may be on the phone with us. Yes, he might be in a
2: room he might be in a room with me well, now you guys tell, tell me this man, I, I we just got picked up
1: uh by a session, you know, shooting a session two thousand fourteen and we just got picked up
2: by them and he being as busy as I am on the road and straight into alligator season and got you know i'm about to leave for kentucky and my bow gets here like three days before i leave and i get it set up and i get to kentucky and the dang thing like just will not stay you know squared off you know with the with the rest and it's like falling and i gotta shoot my 50 yard 10 just to shoot 30 yards i got to fight bottomed out just faulty equipment man i mean if if there's any bad luck in this world that could happen to deer hunting it's gonna happen to me I mean, I ain't know how. No matter how much I can prepare myself and how far ahead of the curveball I think I am for this season, I know something's
1: gonna So it's just. I know when we first started talking about doing this podcast, that was one of the things you said we were not allowed to really mention was <laughs> your deer hunting, and, and Daniel just kind of yeah. echoed in the background going, "I kill big bucks." Okay, I'll be I
2: mean it ain't it ain't no secret, man. I've I've been avid and I when I say avid turkey I mean a uh, duck hunter, it, it when duck season starts, man, it's hard to get me. And you know Jeremy's the same way. I know I know you are too, so it's hard to get me to deer hunt. So um I don't you know, our our peak rut right down here in Mississippi is, you know, the prime time duck hunting. Man. I mean, I'd rather I'd rather shoot ducks you know, than deer all day. But well I say that, but um, I ain't drawn back on a hundred and sixty nine inch full velvet buck in Kentucky either. But um, I've had my opportunities, man, I've been real picky, you know. Um, along with uh Gary at uh at Honey in Kentucky, he uh, we, we we met two thousand and fifteen I I did a show by myself. It was the first show I ever did by myself it was in Kentucky. And all the way in Lakes City, Kentucky, so I drive up there, and I get set up and run into the booth and stuff, and I run into Ty and Breckin, Ty Mills and Breckin Kennedy uh, farm lamb trophies, and we kind of struck it up, you know, hit it off right off the bat, you know, they're the same kind of people and same personalities, and we started, you know, doing some promotion for them on Instagram and hanging out and started, you know, hunting with them every year, and they've, uh, they've given us a good opportunity to harvest a bunch of bucks over there, but through my job with them, you know I don't, you know it's my secret, you know I don't, you know I grew up there and hunt, you know and they let me stay, you know 20, 30 days however long I need to stay, but you know I also cater to their clients as well while we're there, so I mean if, if something needs to be done I'm doing it, if they need some help I you know, shoot the biggest buck here, you know I want their clients to have the opportunity they paid for, you know I don't get any special privileges, so with that being said there's I've had a hundred and forty inch two-year-old deer at 15 yards for 20 minutes. You know, I had I had them on film long enough to take a snapshot of them and post shooter pass, and, and so many people chasing me back saying, shoot, it shut my phone off because it killed my battery. So, I mean, I've been in opportunities where I, was shot, I could have shot deer that, that a lot of people would have shot, but as my job to promote these companies, I don't go there to shoot a two-year-old deer. I go there to shoot a mature deer. If mature doesn't come out, then, you know, I'm not going to shoot this 140-inch two-year-old that's going to be blow up to, like, 160, 170 next year probably and be that picture that they need to sell $10,000 worth of hunt. So, I mean, there's a bigger picture to everything we do here. And uh, so, I mean, it's not my lack of trying that I have a been successful hunting. It's going to string of bad luck and uh, me passing a lot of good deals and good opportunities. that a lot of people have taken down here. That a lot of people don't understand the difference between the quality of deer in Mississippi versus the quality of deer out of state that's that's what really drives us to keep going out of state, you know, not the lack of quality deer down here because we love hunting, but it's just it's unbelievable the, the quality and difference of the hunting experience that you'll have up in the
1: north but from my standpoint on deer hunting, I have reverted or or rolled over into the role of guide, having three small children that like to go. I rarely ever get to be the hunter anymore. I guess you could say I am now in the guide role. We went several times last year. My kids were fortunate enough that they were able to get something. And, you know, to me, I had more fun doing it than me actually being behind the scope. I would much rather watch them be successful than me be successful. And to me, it's actually, I'm successful if they're successful. Because, I, I was able to put them in a situation to where they could be successful and we're building relationships and things that hopefully they'll carry all through their life with memories and lessons and maybe if good Lord's willing they'll pass it down to my grandkids one day. But I know right. from my standpoint, I love to hunt. Don't get me wrong, I I am an avid hunter. I mean I'm I'm sitting here right now looking at I don't even want to know how much stuff to go hunting with but uh, i never want to actually tally it all up and see what i've actually spent on it but to me it's not so much about the hunt it's about the adventure the the going the seeing the meeting the people the making the relationships to spending time with my friends and family you know I, I don't know if y'all know this i'm gonna throw a plug in here real quick last year i started a little hashtag you know on social media y'all know I'm not very good with social media. I'm not very good with technology. I am learning since we started this podcast just deal. I am, I, I have begun learning a, a complete different language.
2: Not to cut you off, but I just want to go ahead and cut you off so that you can, so that you can realize
1: uh, people are seeing it. But life's about the living. That's it. Life is about yeah, the living. All it. about the living. If you're not out doing. I mean that's that's the whole thing to me. If you're not out doing things and you're not out living then what are you doing? Uh, and and I want to be out and I know yeah. y'all wanna be out, do your thing. Go and have a good time. I mean yeah. we're only here for a short time. Yeah.
2: And that's that's a lot of the thing that that kinda of hinders me from, you know, what people would deem as successful. You know, I went a lot of time a long time without killing a turkey. Um I went went several years without killing a turkey in Missouri because when I'd go and Lance would tell you, Lance Floyd is a big part of my uh, life growing up, um, he'd tell you first off, you know, opening day, me and Lance were going together. You know, I was calling a turkey to Lance. And, you know, I'd sacrifice having that opening morning shot opportunity, which is your best opportunity, to give that shot to somebody else. And that was me for several years. And I get more joy out of sharing that moment with somebody else. And being able to be one of the reasons they they can tell that story to people, than than anything out there, man. Pulling the trigger is not not what it's all made out to be. And if, and if that's what hunting means to you, you got to kill something. You're doing it for the wrong reason.
1: Man, I know this year is my my proudest year turkey hunting. I was able to take my son Luke, my daughter Cameron, and was able to be a an assistant. I won't say I I was the main role caller, but I was the assistant and camera guy on my nephew getting his first turkey. We were able to get all three children's first turkey on the ground and on film. And my wife asked me when turkey season started, she said, you know, are you really planning to, yeah, I'm still going to hunt, but to me, my whole season's already done. It's a win, it's a success. With each one, it just got better but we can now look back on what we were able to do. And if you stop one of my kids and ask them, Hey, do you Turkey hunt? Trust me, you better give them a few minutes. They've got a story for you and they have no problem laying the whole deal out for
0: you. Yeah. That's that's one thing that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to experience. And I would say Matt's been able to kind of live through me in that with, with Brennan. He's nine. And, uh, I've been taking him since he was probably two years old. I would take him in the evenings and do what I had to do as far as packing him to and from a box stand to be able to hunt myself when it was my responsibility to keep him for the afternoon when his mom was working or whatever. But, uh, when he got about four years old, he wanted to shoot his first deer. And so I had to buy a crossbow, buy a, uh, high scope and invest all this money in something that i thought he'd be able to shoot a deer where i trust he can make a shot and uh if you've ever met brennan and talked to him about deer hunting he really don't care to ever shoot a doe but if that sundown's got nubs breaking the skin (laughs) it better not step out of the bush as well his first ever deer hunt you know behind the trigger we were fortunate enough for him to shoot a a little six point on your typical opener Mississippi bow season about 96 degrees one afternoon from there it took off and you talk about the the part of the hunt that really means the most isn't the killing it's the work that goes into it the the building of it the story behind the kill or the not kill and that's one thing you know we do hunt with several outfitters and they have attachments to these deer you know they and followed deer for several years that they finally decided to make shooters and they've got history and there's these backlogs with these deer and we've been able to, you know, our group at times has been able to harvest some of these deer and and partake in that. The same way with the the Kansas farm I had last year that we leased for one year. The guy that leased us to it, they had had a couple of deer on there that had been kind of celebrities of the farm for a couple of years that nobody had been able to kill and, and Bud of friend of ours was able to harvest uh, 179 and something inch deer uh last year off that farm that was a four-year legend and you know i didn't harvest that deer but i was on my farm in missouri had left that farm went to missouri was there about a day and a half when he killed that deer he had just arrived dustin was on about a 30 hour straight no sleep from leaving new mexico driving to Mississippi, to Fort Knox, dropped some stuff off to a relative, and then headed to Kansas to hunt. About the time we got the phone call, about 10 that morning, and I climbed down out of my tree in north central Missouri in the middle of the rut, met Dustin on the interstate. It just so happened that he was coming through where I was at about the same time. And we drove three and a half hours to central Kansas to meet up with a friend of ours. One, he didn't have a cameraman to take any pictures for him. And two, we just wanted to be there. For what potentially may end up being the biggest year of his life, it's definitely by far his biggest archery kill ever. You know, but to be there and share in that moment with a friend of ours and something that, you know, as as a group we may never experience again, at least to that magnitude. And, you know, as as hunters, that's what we live for is the, is the, the enjoyment of the experience with our friends, our family, our relatives, you know, those close to us. And, and some of the best hunts don't always end with a kill, but when they do, and and you have that added story behind it, it really makes it something special, and you want so many people to be able to share in it. That's why, you know, as far as our group goes, we're so fortunate through Snapchat and text message that we have about 10 people in a group that talk daily, all kinds of stuff, from life lessons to hunting to, you know, playing golf and everything else. But you can bet, come September Seventh, when we hit the woods in Kentucky, everybody is going to be in that message waiting on who's going to report for first first activity of movement, who slung the first arrow, who killed the first deer, just waiting to you know to join in on the party for those that can't be there. And uh, prime example was last year in Kentucky when I shot that deer opening day. I mean, within 30 seconds, my first thought process after I got my wits about me. Was to hit that group chat dial and ring face face chat with all my buddies through Snapchat, and about five of them were able to pick up, and we just kind of had a moment there where, you know, I was losing it. I've got a screenshot that I keep in my phone of uh, Bud, Justin, Dustin, and myself, and and those were the ones that could answer. And Trent's in the tree above me. And the screenshot is all those guys man ear to ear just smiling so happy for me for what i pulled off and uh just excited for me and, and and all of us joining in in that moment then the rest of the group chiming in and that you know that support and uh you know it carries over up there at farmland those guys have become good friends of ours they're so excited when we were lucky enough to harvest you know i shot a deer up there last for those guys i was lucky enough and matt and i did the recovery on video the and Ty time and, and you know we all had a great time enjoying that but our i guess our special place up there is that missouri farm that's why we keep that farm is to give us that little bit of extra that is ours um we've had the property we have now for going into our i believe this will be our fourth third year this will be our third season on this farm and um We've met some really great landowners, Matt Riley and his family, love us like we're their own. They help us so much tremendously, but we use that property as almost like our farms down here in Mississippi, our, our private ground. That's where we're putting our hard work in, our boots on the ground, breaking ground, planting food plots, cameras, mineral sites, managing our own deer. And that's where a lot of memories between all of us have been made, is on the, this farm and the farm we had previously for four years, so many times we as a friend group have went up there and put in the hard work and then been able to sow the benef- reap the benefits of what we sowed um, later on in the year and spend so many days in the field up there, you know, not even killing deer, um, you know, just spending time together talking about what people saw, misses, uh, big bucks that got spotted, messing things up, heartbreaks of, shooting deer and, and not finding them, you know, and, and talk about your kids, you know, being able to bring my, my son Brennan up there. was fortunate enough to be there for his first deer and several other deer that's gotten pumped up camp doesn't have any kids and it was you know great to hear how much that impacted him and how much he appreciated being involved in, in taking a child out there and letting the child harvest their first turkey you know which i know is a sport that all of us are so passionate about and the same went for my brother when when he was able to be with Brennan when he f- shot his first what i would call really big deer um a couple of years ago uh, it just takes on a different meaning when you when you're able to do that for a child or for a kid or for somebody that hasn't been experiencing the outdoors.
1: Amen, it means brother. A lot more. Amen. I mean that that is nothing. What you just said right there to be able to help and experience with a child being successful, and and whether it's in the outdoors or a sport or, man, figuring out their algebra homework the first time. I mean, any time you can be a part of that. They're going to take you and you take them with you through the rest of your life. I mean, I I won't ever forget the details on a lot of things. I had a young man a couple years ago who was having trouble hitting a baseball, and I told him, I said, you're pulling your head. I, I don't know how to help you other than this. Do you see the lettering on your shirt? I said, I want you to put it in your mouth because... If you can't turn your head, if you've got that shirt in your mouth, you can't turn your head. He steps in a box. He told me, he said, Coach, I look goofy. You know, it's not going to work. So, said, Baby, just trust me. Try it. He gets up there and strokes a triple. When he hit third base, I'm third base coach, and the high five and the, you know, he was like, Man. Well, several years later in high school, I saw him and go to watch one of his games, and. He crams that shirt in his mouth, and I'm like, surely after all these years he's not still doing it. After the game, I asked him about it. He said, well, he said, I was in a little bit of slump. He said, I knew I was pulling my head, and I went right back to the basics. So if you don't think you affect a child by doing these kind of things with them, that they won't remember it down the road, you know, hey, that's, that's what Mr. Daniel told me. That's what Matt told me. That's what Mr. Jake said they're going to remember it. I mean, they're little recorders. Whether you say something good or say something bad, they're going to remember it. And they're going to take it with them. So, I mean, uh, I commend you guys for what y'all have done in the apparel industry, what you're doing with your brand, what you do with the folks that that you help out with friends and, and neighbors and people you meet. I mean, that's what life's all about is making those relationships and carrying them forward. So, yeah, kudos to you guys. There, there's no doubt about that. We've talked about y'all hunting in different states. And I know y'all have been working on a little something that we're going to lead into just a little bit, but I will not want to tell too much of it. We want to hold this for the next one. Y'all have been hunting in different states at this point. And y'all y'all have built your relationships. You've, you've done your homework. You've done your legwork. And you've started to kind of progress. Now you're in more and more states. Kind of lead us in a little bit here, but don't go too far with it.
0: Earlier, the filming side of it, you know, for me came along back in 2012, 13. I was taking just a little handy cam and not so much filming, obviously, for TV. I was trying to film for... If I saw a big deer, I wanted to get some video of it or, you know, I'm colorblind. I have a lot of trouble tracking deer. I I started filming... You know my archery shot to be able to look back and see was it as good as I thought it was before I started pressuring deer and stuff like that and um, I just started taking and when I tell you it was rigged at some points I was electrical taping a little handy cam to the stabilizer on my boat
2: <laughs> just
0: to be able to point it where I wanted it to be um, but you know, as we as we got that farm up there in Missouri, and, and Matt started coming up there with me, we started kind of spawning the idea. Of, and it wasn't for TV, but it was more to help us just give us another niche to the brand of let's film our hunts and kind of let people in on a little bit more of our lives, and use this as a marketing tool for us um, from from the brand side of it, and and see where it goes. You know, so. We used that farm for a couple of years before we started hunting all these other states to kind of learn the ropes, I guess you'd say. You know, we would buy some camera arms. We bought some decent cameras, and it, just like anything else, you buy something and you learn about something that was way better and you wish you wouldn't have bought it to begin with, and we we just kept, you know, building Stockpile. our inventory. So if you had stockpiling gear and building our inventory and, you know, we would use this to film other things and try to learn the ropes, and, and other guys were starting to invest in certain things. Justin started investing in some drones and some other stuff to, to play around with in his personal life and then use what we could. Uh, some other guys that didn't have the financial flexibility, they bought some cheaper cameras to start filming with. And, you know, every year we talked to different people, uh, like Slade Priest, and, and, you know, he's been a big asset with, with turning this on to some stuff. and and several other guys um, talking with Brecken and Ty, who had been kind of low-budget just filming their own hunts for no other reason than they wanted to be able to look back and watch them. And we just kept going from there. And within the last two years, we've kind of decided, can we do this to a point where people actually want to watch it outside of our core friend group, you know, or our family? And would anybody want to pay attention to this to see us do what we're doing out here, the kind of deer we're shooting, the turkeys, ducks, or whatever else we can film? And I would say probably two seasons ago, maybe three, we, we really went hardcore into gator season. Uh, we're going to film gator season this year to the best of our ability. I purchased some on-camera lighting. Um, we got some other items to go along with it um, we got a got it with Rick Brister, who had a big enough boat to haul all the junk that we thought we needed and We set out to Lake Mary and we laid down some pretty pretty solid footage for what we were doing and we uh, were able to harvest several gators on film. We were able to bring in a lot of other gators and release them on film and then, to be honest, we kind of fell back off when it came to deer season and turkey season. And then the next year, when gators came around again, we did it again, and it was great footage. And what we kind of realized was, the way gator season in Mississippi set up, you can put a lot of guys in the boat, but you're partaking in yeah. the hunt, not taking anything away from it, and you've got a cameraman.
2: And we, and we kind of learned a lot, and we knew we were going to catch gators, so, I mean, you know, it's a lot just determine earlier is uh, you have to make a decision. And we started realizing, you know, I, I didn't want to. My goal, when you talk about my goals, I, I wanted to keep selling this brand I got, you know, and keep building it. And Daniel will sit there. And somebody asked me yesterday, Daniel, and they said, it was Jonathan, because he's come over to your house. He said, is Daniel just sit there when he's at home and watch hunting shows? And I said, that man's ate up, man. He loves hunting. And uh, Daniel will watch hunting shows. But I won't watch them too much. I'll watch them to learn and try to figure out what do I not want my hunting show to be like. What is it in this hunting show? Because we, we, everybody in the world admits some hunting shows are boring, some of them are better than And what is it in these hunting shows that I don't like that just makes me not want to watch them? And that's what we don't need to do. So, I mean, we'll model ourselves
1: there. You're and looking at a hunting show for something completely different. I'm watching it. To see what what new trick can I learn, or maybe is there something I can see that I don't want to do? Yeah, I, I'm yeah. looking at it. I, I'm gonna bet Daniel the same way as I am. I'm trying to increase my skill set on what I'm doing when I'm outside. Yeah, you know, when I'm I walk, I want to be as successful in what I'm doing as I. You know that that's the reason I watch them, uh, and yeah, Daniel, I'm I'm a good bit the same way. I watch them all the time, and I like listening to different podcasts. You know, different things that are going on. I, I follow them on different social media sites. You know, if, if whether we're duck hunting or whether we're turkey hunting. Uh, like I say, I'm, I'm not really too big in deer hunting anymore unless the kids want to go. But I'm steadily yeah. I'm steadily reading it and watching it to see okay, what what did they do that was helped him to be successful that morning you know did a you got a gobbler on limb right. and you tree yelp at him and he don't want to do anything well we we just shut up all together and you know all of a sudden he decided well where'd she go or you back up 10 steps act like you're walking away i mean it's just things like that that most folks that are coming into it don't realize that that there are little tricks that you can do that You know, somebody may say, well, that's silly. No, it's not silly. It works. And whether it's silly or not, if it's working, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I would say I agree with that. You know, I I do watch them for that educational purpose of is there anything I can learn from this? As the brand has grown and as we got into filming, I almost started watching it two tiers. I wanted to watch how these guys were successful hunting and filming at the same time. How are they able to, how are the guys that are able to pull off good quality self-film footage able to do that? What kind of scenarios and what are they hunting? Then just overall, how are they able to consistently pull off quality footage just filming and killing big deer, killing turkeys, you know, et cetera, consistently? And I started also thinking about it from what shows drew me in, what shows, did i learn from from the hunting side but we're also really well produced quality film
1: side i'm gonna stop you right there i don't want to get too far into the next episode look this has been our third episode with freak outdoors with matt and daniel i want to thank everybody for coming tonight and listening to us we hope y'all come back again god bless and thank you
0: Ain't nothing like a
2: southern night, Lord, to make you feel all right. I got the windows down, I got the radio on.